Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Monday morning, and if you're like many people, you're less than enthusiastic about the start of the working week, and you cannot wait for the days to roll by and for the weekend to begin. But there is one sound that if you heard it right now, would transport you straight to that 6pm Friday evening feeling. Culturally, that moment has a lot of terms. Wine o'clock, beer o'clock, gin o'clock, you get it. Replace it with your beverage of choice. But something is changing. We've had the UK's largest recent study of drinking behaviours, 16 to 25 year olds, most likely to be teetotal. Welcome back to my YouTube channel, and today we're going to be speaking all about sobriety. This is a really exciting day, isn't it, because I'm 30 days sober today. Gave up Woo-hoo. drinking alcohol age 20. So 2022, I decided to stop drinking for an years. entire year. So tip number one. So I'm doing the heavy challenge. You know, I thought I'd do a quick reflection video. Don't do it tomorrow. But it's going to happen tomorrow. Are we drinking less? Could this be the end of our British boozing culture? It's five o'clock somewhere. And what does this tell us about the way society is changing? It's very threatening, this idea of sort of someone giving up. I felt healthier, I felt fitter, and I just sort of said to myself, like, why why am I enslaved to this drink? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jane Mulcairns, the Associate Editor at The Times magazine. Today why young Britons are giving up booze. Oh no, yeah. I'm not a coffee. I'm only on air now. So you look amazing. Alcohol, food. <laughs> <laughs> Just live um, on hopes and dreams. Yes. <laughs> I have to confess, apart from the now obligatory dry Januaries, I'm not someone who has got on board with this trend of low to no alcohol drinks. But I do know just the person to speak to about it. It's my colleague, Helen Rumbelow, a self-confessed abstinence advocate. I am a feature writer for The Times and have been for a very long time. So Helen, a young Hollywood actor recently spoke about their decision to give up alcohol and the impact that alcohol had been having on them. Can you tell us a little bit about what they said? Yeah, this is Tom Holland, who's a young British guy. We probably know him from Spider-Man. And he talked about how he decided to have a dry January after a very boozy Christmas. I just wanted to do dry January and all I could think about was having a drink. It's all I could think about. 
I was waking up thinking about it. I was checking the clock. When's it 12? Probably a very typical story. A lot of people have considered it. Maybe I have a little bit of an alcohol thing. So I sort of... But I think what's interesting with him is that he hadn't really hit, like, rock bottom. You know, he just thought he'd try out, try January, and then realise how hard it was, and then thought he'd extend it to another month and another month. I felt like I couldn't go to the pub and have a lime soda. I couldn't go out for dinner. I was really, really struggling. When I heard that story, I thought, God, that's so different to the Hollywood sort of rehab stories we're used to. You know, go back any number of decades, and you would hear about people quitting alcohol, rock stars and Hollywood hellraisers. But I think what's new is Tom Holland is sort of talking about alcohol from really like a relatively moderate place he was at. If we heard that story in the 90s, it would be almost like a comedy sketch. It'd be like, oh, you were drinking a little bit of alcohol and now you've sort of gone cold turkey. It's like we're just kind of reaching this sort of, I don't know, sort of sandy ledge, which previously would have been a very comfortable place to be and feeling like that's a place to quit from. That's really interesting. I I love that analogy of a sandy edge as opposed to a rock bottom as a place to start abstinence and sobriety from. As you say, Tom Holland's a a pretty public and high-profile advocate of abstinence. Is he the only one? Are there any other celebrities that have been talking quite publicly about their sobriety? Yeah, there's Cara Delevingne, Daniel Radcliffe, Zac Efron... There's quite a few just in British public life, aren't there? Like Adrian Childs, he's reduced a lot, and Lee Mack. My new rules, and I've been sticking with this, no longer do I drink at home. See, my theory is if you don't drink in the house, you've got control over it. It's not controlling you, you're controlling it. You'll never become dependent, you'll never become an alcoholic. You will always be in control of the situation. In other news, I've bought a shed. (laughs) People are starting to talk about it much more as, you know, not this kind of shameful, I've now sort of had to completely overhaul my life and apologise to everyone in it. But it's just, yeah, this is a thing I'm trying or doing and it's good. And this is not people going to AA. This is people just deciding to step back from the sandy ledge. So do you think we're seeing a new trend? Do you think this, not drinking, but definitely talking about it publicly, is a kind of becoming call? It's a new call of not drinking. Yeah, and I think it's partly because we're seeing something really unusual, which is that this is a young person trend. That is a real reversal from our generation, I say loosely. But it would have been that the trajectory is that you have this wild youth and then you can't take it anymore and you cut back a bit when you get older and boring. But now, you know, these celebrities that are talking about it, they're really quite young. They're in their 20s and that mirrors all the statistics, basically. Like young people are, you know, not just drinking less than previous generations of young people, but they're drinking less than middle-aged people right now. So we've had the UK's largest recent study of drinking behaviours in 2019. 16 to 25-year-olds, most likely to be teetotal. 26% of them not drinking compared to... Middle-aged people, 15% don't drink. But, you know, more recently, Tesco, Britain's biggest supermarket, said sales of no and low alcohol beer were 25% higher this June than in January. January is traditionally the driest month. And this is in sort of peak 
picnic, PIMS, Wimbledon sports season. So sales of no and low alcohol beer up in pubs 23% on a year ago. And normal beer sales have fallen by 6%. Half of the UK adult population bought a no or low alcohol product last year. So yeah, it's really, it is really happening. Well, if this is a new trend, you might be the trendsetter. No, never. Take us back to when sobriety as a thing really started for you. You see, you're making me sound cooler than I am there because I wish I could talk about sobriety. I think I'm just like, I'm naturally a really old granny. And I can tell you and me are very different because I feel like you are fun and I am not fun. But I think I always drank anyway just because I was British, basically. We started drinking young and, you know, we were going to the pub at like 15, 16 and then student years. And I possibly, if I'd gone into a different career, perhaps things would have tailed off. But I went into the newsroom. I mean, drinking wasn't just normalized. It was quite obligatory. People talk about peer pressure for teenagers, but, you know, journalists, (laughs) there was quite a lot. That's really interesting. So you felt professional pressure for certainly the early parts of your career. And our profession was so booze fueled. You felt you couldn't say no. So when did you feel like you could start saying no? And how did that manifest itself? Well, I think the professional life changed. That was part of it. And also just I you know, accepted my inner granny a little bit more. A very delayed sort of maturity happened, I think, where I realised I just actually not enjoying this. And I think I just started factoring in the hangover. So that was part of it. You know, I mentioned Lee Mack before, but Lee Mack, the great guru, he talked about the kind of first sip syndrome. And he said, there's that whole thing of like, clocking off for the day or, you know, going on holiday and it's that, you know, you sit down with a cold glass of beer or whatever it is and the first sip tastes amazing and immediately you feel good times are here. But he was like, there's no alcohol effect there because the alcohol actually takes 20 minutes or whatever to process. All of that is your brain and it's all about associations and symbolism and that's It's ritual. It's ritual. And I realised, actually, I could, wrangling the kids or a bad day at work, whatever, I crave that glass because it was the signal that I could relax. But actually, if I had a a low alcohol beer, my brain sort of got the same reaction. It's quite strange. You know, I could actually fool my brain without being conscious of it. So when did you first pull the ring on one of those low alcohol beers? (laughs) I mean, there was this horrible drink. Do you remember Billy Colony used to advertise it? Calibre. Oh, Do you remember? gosh. It was gosh, so I bad. I that from my memory. Yeah. This is a new lager. It's called Calibre. It's brewed like any other lager, hops, barley. You know that kind of thing. But then they take all the alcohol out. Basically tasted like sort of soap. <laughs> um, but I think it was a couple of years ago. They just something happened. And they got really good. Beer has got really very close, I think, to normal beer. And um, I just realised, yeah, you can have an alcohol-like experience and it's really not that different. It's not like that with anything else. I mean, I've been through 
the wine and the spirits and they're just... There's, there's some work to do there. There's work to yeah. do. I mean, you've been so honest and open in your pieces about not drinking as much. What's been the feedback? Readers are mixed. Some of them are definitely with me. It does almost feel like sort of slightly coming out. I'm sort of like, hi, I'm Helen. I'm low alcohol. Because it is embarrassing. You basically say, I'm, I identify as boring. Some of them are with me, thank you. But a lot of them are like, what a fun sucker you are, mm. you know. And it's very sort of threatening, I think, this idea of sort of someone giving up. And I think it's interesting, the more you come out of alcohol, the more you see it objectively. It is quite strange, that effect, because people love to think that they drink moderately. That's always what people say. But people never say that about smoking. You know, they're never like, I smoke in moderation. It's funny, we're so sort of deep in alcohol, I think, especially in this country. But I think we're just getting to the stage where the message is getting out that there's nothing at all good for your body about alcohol. You might be able to relate to Helen. Like many Brits, she was a drinker in her 20s, but now that she's in her 40s, she's slowed down, if not gone completely off booze. But I'm really curious about young people going sober. Why are so many of them not drinking? And what's behind this generational shift? That's coming up after this. 
I'm John Holmes. I'm a professor of alcohol policy at the University of Sheffield, and I lead an alcohol research group who's done lots of work on alcohol policies, particularly around alcohol pricing. But we also do a lot of work looking at kind of general trends in alcohol use and the harms alcohol causes. Most recently, we've been doing some work on the decline in youth drinking. That's really interesting. Can you tell us about the moment you decided to get interested in that topic? What made you realise that there was something happening that was worth looking into in terms of a decline? Yeah, this goes back about seven or eight years. And obviously, as an alcohol researcher, I look at the, the statistics on alcohol when they come out. And I noticed in one of the ONS's surveys, the Office for National Statistics surveys, that there'd been a big drop-off in drinking among young adults. So this was just a study of adults, not children. And I sort of looked at this and realised it had happened a couple of years in a row. And I sort of thought, well, that, that just looks too big to be real. And I actually emailed the ONS and said, look, are these statistics right? This, this just doesn't look sensible. And they just emailed me back saying, the data is the data. Go away, basically. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was quite a junior researcher then. I didn't have any clout. And we went and looked at this in a bit more detail, and it turns out we were seeing the same thing in the school surveys, and as we got into it a little bit more, we realised the same thing was happening in lots of other high-income countries as well, and we thought, well, this is quite unusual, because everyone talks about there being a big problem with young people drinking heavily, with binge drinking, but really what we're seeing is just a really big drop-off, and, and no one's talking about this. So it took us a w little bit of time to get research funding, but we really wanted to get a big project to try and understand what's going on here. So before we go into the actual research, John, when we talk about young adults, what ages are we talking about here? This kind of starts in the earliest data. You can see it in, in the 11 to 15-year-old surveys. You can see even if they're not drinking, they have more negative attitudes towards alcohol. But then this goes right through to the, the later teenagers. And in more recent years, as, as the generation that's drinking less has got older, we can start to see the impact in young adults as well, going up into their sort of mid-20s. Talk us through the actual research and how you went about it with your research hat on. So you've, you've got these ONS figures, you've got some funding. How did you go about your findings and, and how did you get to the people you wanted to speak to? Yeah, so we kind of had two bits to our research. One was to just do more detailed statistical analysis of that survey data. The other part was to do what we'd call qualitative research, interviewing people and getting them to talk in detail about their experiences. And the way we approached this was to try and understand how the, the place of alcohol in young people's lives has changed over the last sort of 20 years. So we started off by interviewing groups of 13 to 15-year-olds and 16 to 18-year-olds. But we also wanted to talk to, to 20 to 25-year-olds and also 30 to 35-year-olds to get a sense of what drinking as a young person was like for those people. And those 30 to 35-year-olds were the people who were right at the peak of that consumption trend when we were really worried about youth drinking. So we, we recruited groups of people from all of those age bands. And then later, as the project went on, we found out that there were other people doing this kind of research in different countries around the world. So we also kind of paired up with them and, and started to compare our data. And how did that compare? Were you seeing the same sort of trends across all of your data and, and analysis? Certainly in the countries we looked at, yeah. I mean, in Australia, the picture is very similar. And 
we also work with some Swedish researchers and they're getting similar picture, although some of the mechanisms are slightly different there. But broadly, the picture is the same across high-income countries, a decline in youth drinking. The UK has actually seen some of the biggest declines, although that's partly because we started with the highest rate of youth drinking in the first place. But yeah, big declines in other English-speaking countries and in Scandinavia as well. And what did you find when you went out and spoke to these various groups? What did each group tell you about their views on alcohol and about drinking less? So there's been lots of speculation about why young people are drinking less. Is it something to do with the internet? Are they just spending more time in their bedrooms doing things other than drinking? Have they become more health conscious? And various other things as well. What we found was those things are all kind of in play, but the the big underlying driver here is a, a change in how young people approach risk and how they try to manage their futures in general. Young people today seem to be much more future-oriented, much more concerned to take take responsibility for their own future, minimise the risks to their future, and try and ensure that they have educational success, social success, because they're aware that society has changed and, and the government's not going to look after you in the same way it maybe did 30, 40 years ago. Things have changed now. We're much more individualistic as a society. And that means you have to take responsibility for your own future. And they're aware that alcohol, but other things as well, smoking, drug use, early sexual activity, a whole range of risks to their lives can damage their future. So they they try and manage those risks in a much more active way than, than previous generations did so. And perhaps not surprisingly, a significant number of them did raise experiences of parental heavy drinking. So whether they had a parent who was alcohol dependent or had just seen their parents drunk, uh, staggering around the house, causing problems, they were conscious of wanting to avoid that. That's so interesting, John. So they're acting in a way that, that people would have acted much later in life when they'd had an awareness of consequences. That's true. And I think one of the things that's often been talked about in this debate is the idea that young people are, are avoiding adulthood. They're not taking on responsibilities. They're, they're delaying all the things that adults usually do. And I think that, that's probably the wrong way to look at it. I think they're more mature nowadays. They're taking much more responsibility for their own lives. And in a way, this is, this is kind of positive. This is what we were asking of young people 20 years ago, to be less reckless to take more responsibility. Now, there are risks with that, but we've also seen alongside this some increases in mental health problems in young people, partly because they're anxious about their future, although that needs exploring in much more detail. But in a broad sense, there is a kind of positive story here, albeit the reasons it's positive that young people are really worried about their futures is not necessarily positive itself. Do you think, talking about the fearfulness and anxiety, that these young people, many of whom lived through a pandemic and came of age during a pandemic, is that a factor for them? I think it's part of it. I mean, it's worth saying the research we did was before the pandemic. We collected all our data beforehand. But I think the pandemic has definitely exacerbated some of those trends. It kind of sits alongside things like climate change, the various economic worries we've had over the last 15 years. as a recognition for young people that risk is just suffused throughout society now and these really big risks are very visible to young people. 
Were you surprised by any of these findings, either by the numbers and the data or by the reasons behind them? I don't think I was hugely surprised that it wasn't just one thing. I I had a suspicion from the start that actually it's it's not just the internet. It's it's not just one thing that's driving this, and that actually it probably wasn't really about alcohol at all. It was about something much broader. But there were some interesting things that came up as we went along. So we've recently done a bit of work on how the for the young people who do still drink, how the the places they drink have changed. So one of the nice things that came out of that was. 20 years ago, when young people would drink, they would often drink in public spaces, so in parks and, and so on. This was kind of a, an uncontrolled way of drinking. They, they would do what they want. They'd buy their own alcohol or get it through some means. And they, they reflected on this in their 30s. It was quite a pleasurable experience. It was nice. They almost talked about it like going for a picnic almost. Nowadays, young people kind of look at that and they see it in very negative terms. We did our research in Sheffield and we got some good Yorkshire slang back from people. Of, they said it was quite scroty, so kind of well, deviant. As someone who spent a lot of her youth drinking in public spaces in Sheffield, I take that quite personally. Well, yeah, I grew up in Yorkshire as well. So, <laughs> But yeah, they saw it in very negative terms. For those young people who do still drink today, it often doesn't happen in public spaces. It happens in their own homes and not sort of as a house party when the parents are away. Often it's while the parents are there, the parents might also supply the alcohol. And that kind of sounds like, well, parents are encouraging drinking. But what was really happening was parents are giving young people a more managed amount of alcohol. They're they're giving them maybe beer or other weaker drinks rather than vodka. They're kind of present and monitoring, even if they're not in the actual room. So it's kind of encouraging a more moderate form of drinking when drinking does happen. And from young people's perspective, they see it as sort of safer, less deviant and a kind of a lower risk experience. Do you think that young people are missing out on anything by not having those slightly reckless and deviant experiences? I mean, it's always difficult to tell whether one generation is is somehow having a better experience than another. It's not the case that young people today aren't going out and having fun. They're just having a different kind of fun. And we talk a lot about the sort of risks of the internet, but they're they're doing loads of stuff that my generation, your generation, I guess, just never have the opportunity to do. And they've got access to a whole range of media uh, and other things that we just could never have done. We talk a lot as alcohol researchers about the advertising of alcohol on social media, and we're right to be concerned about that. It is pushed towards young people a lot. But what they're also getting through social media is lots of exposure to other lifestyles. So celebrities who don't drink, like Tom Holland, but also just various wellness influencers and and all sorts of other things that are kind of antithetical to drinking. And and I think that kind of climate and, and social environment where there are a wider range of choices available to you and a wider range of influences on your behavior is probably more part of a story than, say, any one influential celebrity. Do you think that this is a trend that is an anomaly in terms of young people's behaviour? Or do you think it's something that we'll see continuing and perhaps, you know, becoming a more permanent part of youth culture? I definitely think this isn't just going to be a blip and then we're we're suddenly going to revert to higher levels of drinking again. I think all the reasons that are driving down youth drinking are, are kind of long-term structural reasons, this, this increased responsibility that government is placing on individuals to manage their own lives, the sense of existential threats from climate change, from the economy and and possibly future pandemics. But that said, 
it's not clear that the decline in youth drinking will just continue and it will go down and down and down. I think there probably will be a plateau. When we, there is some evidence we may even have reached that plateau already. One of the interesting things, I think, is what happens when these young people get into their 30s, their 40s, and then another generation behind them is coming, potentially still drinking less. What does that do to our our society that has had quite alcohol as quite a prominent thing? I mean, walk down any city street or town, there are pubs everywhere. Will those pubs survive? We might see quite big changes in just the basic architecture of, of our lives and our urban environments. Yeah, I guess we'll see. It's hard to imagine having a celebration without anyone having a drink in future, but maybe that is what we'll see. It's important not to overstate this. People are still drinking. When young people become young adults, a significant proportion of them do start drinking. They're just doing it later and they're doing less of it. So, yeah, I think what I'd imagine we'll see is we'll still see drinking, but we'll see more people not drinking among the drinkers. So you'll be toasting with your non-alcoholic Prosecco or whatever. It's absolutely revolting, so I won't be, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Jane Mulkerins, and my guests, The Times feature writer and columnist, Helen Rumbelow, and Professor John Holmes, the director of the Sheffield Alcohol Research Group. You can find all of Helen's work at thetimes.co.uk, including a favourite of ours about P-Volve, the Hollywood workout Jennifer Aniston swears by and Helen has tried herself. The producer was Priyanka Zaladia, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.